This morning we're going to be considering the feeding of the multitude. The feeding of the multitude. We're looking at Luke chapter 9, verse 10 through to 17. This morning as we continue our studies in Luke's Gospel, we shall consider a time when the Lord Jesus Christ fed a multitude of people with just five loaves of bread and two fishes. And by the way, those loaves of bread, they weren't even the loaves that you might get at the local supermarket here. They were just the flat bread, um, much smaller in size than the, the loaves that we would tend to buy. That miraculous work is one that is known by just about everyone who knows anything about what Jesus did when he was in the world. I'm just curious actually, Um, I wonder if, put your hand up, I won't ask you to put your hand up if you don't know, put your hand up if you know anything at all about the feeding of the multitude, otherwise known as the feeding of the 5,000, or you've heard about it before. I would think just about everybody, just about everybody has. (laughs) Apart from the baby, of course. But then with um, parents like he's got, I'm sure that they've taught him it. Of all the miracles of the Lord Jesus Christ that are recorded in the Bible, this is the only one that can be found in all four Gospel books. That tells us something, doesn't it? It tells us how important that that particular miracle was. Not that the other miracles weren't important. All of the miracles that Jesus did were important. They all testified that Jesus is the Christ, that he is the living God. That's why Jesus performed his miracles. Certainly he, his heart was moved with compassion towards people, but ultimately we see from the um, Old Testament prophecies that when the Christ came, comes into the world, that he would perform various miracles, uh, and thereby showing that he is the promised Messiah. The Christ. But this particular miracle that we're we're going to be looking at today, the feeding of the multitude, it is a very clear picture of Jesus being able to feed hungry souls to the utmost. As the psalmist said, Oh, that men would praise the Lord for his goodness and for his wonderful works to the children of men. For he satisfieth the longing soul and filleth the hungry soul with goodness. I'm sure that all of us who know the Lord Jesus Christ, we know from our own experience how he satisfies our hungry souls. Come, we come to Jesus thirsty and having come to Jesus, we never thirst again. First of all, what I want to consider with you this morning is the apostles reporting back to Jesus. The apostles reporting back to Jesus. Looking, Look at verses 10 and 11 of chapter 9. And the apostles, when they were returned, told him all that they had done. And he took them and went aside privately into a desert place belonging to the city called Bethsaida. And the people, when they knew it, followed him 
and he received them and spake unto them of the kingdom of God and healed them that had need of healing. You may remember last week we considered the apostles of the Lord Jesus Christ being sent out for the very first time as his representatives and before they departed Jesus gave them power and authority over all devils and to cure diseases, to preach the kingdom of God and to heal the sick. Now having completed their first mission we see the uh, the apostles coming back to Jesus and uh, keen to give him a full report of all that they had done. Jesus and his apostles retreated into a deserted or solitary place and they did so for various reasons. Jesus had uh, just been informed about the death of John the Baptist. John the Baptist, he was beheaded at the orders of King Herod and then he was buried. Jesus would need some privacy to, to give this news, this sad news to his apostles. Also in Mark chapter 6, sorry, chapter 9, verse 31. 6.31, I've got this wrong. Mark, no, I've got it right. Mark chapter 6, verse 31. Jesus said to his apostles, Come ye yourselves apart into a desert place and rest a while. This is Mark's account of the feeding of the multitude. That's what I was getting confused about then. I'll say that again. Jesus said to them, Come ye yourselves apart into a desert place and rest a while. The apostles would have needed to rest after their missionary exploits. Even though the Lord's people can do all things through Jesus who strengthens them. Still get tired though. Speaking from my own experience, although I consider it, A great privilege to go into the community, to call on people to repent and believe the gospel. It can be rather exhausting. I think those who go out with me possibly would agree with me there. It can be quite exhausting. It can be quite draining. And I should imagine that that is largely because doing such work is a battle against principalities and powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this world against spiritual wickedness when we step out into the community to call on people to repent and believe the gospel we're going to get a, we're going to um, get a visit from the from dark forces even though Christ's emissaries go out with an armor that he supplies them and even though Jesus has said of himself upon this rock I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. Door-to-door evangelism can nevertheless be very draining indeed, not least of all because people can at times be most unpleasant and hostile when confronted with the holiness of God and with their own sinfulness. And that is because men love the darkness rather than the light, because their deeds are evil. People don't want you knocking on their door to call on them to repent and believe the gospel. It can be very draining. 
And it's not that easy when you knock on the door and then the person who opens it, you've spoken to, the, you've been speaking to them when you've been out walking your dog. And, uh, and, uh, and then you, you think, oh, okay, Lord, now you, now you want me to talk to them about Jesus. Great privilege, but it's not easy, if I'm being honest with you. So I suspect that that is why very few Christians get involved in outdoor evangelism. It's certainly not everyone's cup of tea. Not only did the apostles need to rest after going out um, preaching the kingdom of God and calling on people to repent and to believe the gospel, they needed to have something to eat. We're told in Mark chapter 6 and verse 31 that there were many coming and going and they had no leisure so much as to eat. This is the apostles, they come back to Jesus to report back to him uh, and uh, people thronging the Lord Jesus. It's not as if they had any space to sit down and have a bite to eat. Clearly their present location with that crowd of people was not conducive to them hearing the, the, the news about John the Baptist's martyrdom. It was not conducive to having something to eat and it was not conducive to them having a rest. Consequently, Jesus and his apostles went somewhere more private. In fact, they boarded a ship. We're not told that in Luke's Gospel, but they got on a ship and they sailed east over the northern part, the northern tip of the Sea of Galilee. However, the people must have been very determined indeed because they followed Jesus on foot, according to Matthew's account. You can imagine it, they must have run as fast as their legs would take them uh, around the northern shore of the Sea of Galilee. When you're having your quiet time or you're resting or you're having a bite to eat, you might at the very least conceal a degree of frustration and perhaps some annoyance within you if you're interrupted when you're having that quiet time. Not so with the Lord Jesus Christ. When he and his apostles had arrived in the desert place and some of the multitude, I don't know how what proportion of them, ran round the northern tip of the Sea of Galilee to, to meet Jesus again. But... Nevertheless, some of that multitude of people arrived in the solitary place, in the desert place. Matthew's account of events tells us that when Jesus and his apostles arrived at their solitary place, Jesus went forth and he didn't tell them to go away, come back later because I'm having some quiet time with my apostles. They need to rest, they need something to eat and I've got some news to give them, some sad news, not at all. Jesus went forth, he saw that great multitude and was moved with compassion towards them. Sounds familiar that, doesn't it? Moved with compassion towards them and he healed their sick. And in our passage, Luke says in verse 11 that he received them and spake unto them of the kingdom of God and healed them that had need of healing. Another opportunity to 
demonstrate to them that he is the Christ, the Son of God. And of course, most of all, another opportunity to preach the kingdom of God. And as I've already shown you last week, preaching the kingdom of God, it means calling them on to, re- to calling on them to repent and to believe the gospel. That's what it means. Secondly, now we can look at the feeding, not of the weary apostles, but of the multitude that followed the Lord Jesus Christ. First of all, we see that the job of feeding that multitude was given to the apostles. Look at verses 12 and 13. And when the day began to wear away, then came the twelve and said unto him, Send the multitude away, that they may go into the towns and country round about and lodge and get victuals, for we are here in a desert place. But he said unto them, Give ye them to eat. And they said, We have no more but five loaves and two fishes, except we should go and buy meat for all this people. The apostles, they quite naturally thought that Jesus should send the multitude away into the nearby town so that they could buy something to eat uh, and, and find somewhere to sleep for the night. Again, they'd followed Jesus. They'd gone from, um, uh, they'd followed him. They'd gone round the northern tip of the Sea of Galilee. So they were some, some distance from their homes. Hence the apostles suggesting that they go to nearby towns and find lodging for the night. But Jesus, he had other ideas, didn't he? The apostles were going to feed that multitude. It can be seen in John's Gospel that Andrew, the apostle Andrew, seeing a little boy's five loaves of bread and two small fishes, couldn't see how that little bit of food would be enough to feed so many hungry tummies. Verse 14 tells us that there were about 5,000 men. Verse 14 in our passage today tells us there were about 5,000 men. However, Matthew's Gospel gives more information. It informs us that there were about 5,000 men besides women and children. Therefore, it's likely that there were what? I don't know, it's anybody's guess, but you could probably double that number, double the 5,000. I'd say that there would have been in excess of 10,000 people once you had the women and the children. Also, Philip did the maths and worked out, no doubt, very quickly, that they simply did not have enough money to buy food for so many people. The problem with Philip was that when he did the maths, he left Jesus out of the equation. As for Andrew and his concern about how little food was available, it would appear that he had forgotten or he did not know his history. For example, the bread that the Lord rained down from heaven to feed the children of Israel 1,500 years earlier, when the children of Israel were in the wilderness, having been delivered from their afflictions in Egypt, 
And back then there were there may well have been a guessing again, but this is what the scholars say, there may well have been two million of them. Can you imagine that? Two million Israelites wandering around in the Sinai wilderness. They needed to be fed. And God provided for them bread from heaven. So what Jesus had in our passage, sure, it was a lot of people, maybe 10,000 people, but that's nothing compared to perhaps two million people in the wilderness years. And in the prophet Elijah's time, there was a barrel of flour that was not used up and a cruise or a jar of oil that did not run dry. Then there was the prophet Elisha, who, when he was given 20 loaves of barley and fresh ears of grain, said, Give to the men that they may eat. But his servant said, How can I set this before a hundred men? So Elisha said again, Give them to the men that they may eat. For thus saith the Lord, They shall eat and have some left. So he set it before them, and they ate and had some left, according to the word of the Lord. Can you see from the history here, the, in the Old Testament history, God, time and again, he provided food in miraculous ways. Also, had Andrew already forgotten what happened at the wedding feast in Cana of Galilee, when Jesus turned water into wine, six water pots were filled to the brim with water and the Lord turned that water into the very best wine. I know it's not food, but even so, think about it. Six pots full of water. It was there for people to wash their hands in. And Jesus turned that water, not into any old wine, but the best wine. Immediately. How long would it normally take to produce good wine? It's fair to say that even though Philip and Andrew had been appointed as apostles, and even though they had already been sent out by Jesus with power and authority to do miraculous works and to preach the kingdom of God, they, and no doubt the other apostles as well, had a problem with unbelief and the miraculous feeding that was about to take place would not only serve to declare to the multitude that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God, but also it would serve to build those apostles up in their faith. As for us, how we view God and how great our understanding of what God is able to do will inevitably influence us in our prayer life. We can pray the most feeble prayers, can't we? Or I can anyway. If I if I if I lose sight of who it is that I'm praying to, Almighty God, God who who created the heavens and the earth, and God who sustains all things. In Ephesians chapter 3 and verse 20, the Apostle Paul prayed, 
Now unto him that is able to do exceeding abundantly above all that we ask or think according to the power that worketh in us. I guess that's the Holy Spirit working in us. Unto him that is able to do exceeding abundantly above all that we ask or think according to the power that worketh in us. Of that verse... The 19th century Scottish theologian John Edie said, God's ability to answer prayer transcends not only our spoken petitions, but far surpasses even such thoughts as are too big for words and too deep for utterance. And still those desires which are dumb from their very vastness and amazing from their very boldness are insignificant requests compared with the power of God. For we know so little of his promises, and so weak is our faith in them, that we ask not as we should, for their universal fulfilment. And though we did understand their depth and power, our loftiest imaginations of possible blessing would come infinitely short of the power and resources of the hearer of prayer. When you think about the power of God, you might like to consider the fact that, as I've already said, in six days the Lord made heaven and earth and all that in them is. God made everything from nothing. But even more amazing, dear Christian, is the fact that he made you, uh, who, who were you? A child of wrath. And he made made you a new creature in Christ. So much so that old things are passed away and behold, all things are become new. That's a description of you, Christian. All your sins have been forgiven and your life has been redeemed from destruction by the sinless life the sacrificial death and the triumphal resurrection of your great God and Saviour, Jesus Christ. Just think of what has happened to you, lest you lose sight of the power and the grace of God. You have everlasting life. You will never perish. Earlier I mentioned the wedding feast and the water pots that were filled to the brim. You, dear Christian, have a cup. It's not just filled to the brim. Your cup runneth over. It overflows with a continual flow of mercy and grace. When you take it all in, that you've been blessed with every spiritual blessing in heavenly places, in Christ Jesus, your Lord, who loved you and who gave himself for you, why would you even begin to limit what God is able to do? You do well to take heed of what is written in Proverbs chapter 3 and verse 5. Trust in the Lord with all thine heart and lean not unto thine own understanding. Finally, look at the actual feeding of that great number of hungry tummies. Look at verse 17. 
Verse 17. And they did eat and were all filled. And there was taken up of fragments that remained to them twelve baskets. So, they did all eat. However many there were, 10,000 perhaps, they did all eat. They were all filled. And not only that, but they were taken up of the fragments that remained 12 baskets. I don't know if there's any significance in the number 12 there. Perhaps the 12 apostles were sent out on a litter patrol afterwards. They had a basket each. And each one of those 12 apostles filled up their basket with fragments, with leftovers. And it's clear that there was more food at the end, 12 baskets of fragments, more at the end than there was to start with. That's how much the Lord Jesus Christ multiplied that food. Five fish, uh, five loaves of bread, two small fishes, feeding a vast number of people, and then even then, more to end with than to start with. That speaks of the boundless grace of God towards repentant sinners, that the riches of his grace is more than enough to satisfy all the hungry souls that come to him and freely receive his unlimited grace and his mercy. It never ends. As a Christian, whether you've been a Christian for a, a, a year or decades, I don't know, You just continuously draw on the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, knowing that that will never run out, that grace. And you keep coming back to Jesus and feeding your soul on him. Ho, everyone that thirsteth, come ye to the waters, and he that have no money, come ye, buy, eat, Yea, come, buy wine and milk without money and without price. Cost you nothing. Wherefore do ye spend money for that which is not bread, and your labour for that which satisfieth not? Hearken diligently unto me, and eat ye that which is good, and let your soul delight itself in fatness. With regards to the bread that just kept on multiplying, that points to the one who performed that miracle, the Lord Jesus Christ. He is the bread of life. He is the living bread that came down from heaven. Taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the man that trusteth in him. Amen.